Father God in heaven, mm, you're awesome, God. And it is well with our soul because of that great sacrifice at Calvary where you took the wrath of God. You took the punishment for our sin. You died in our place. And because of Calvary, because of the cross, that beautiful, glorious cross, we can say it is well with our soul. Lord, we're going to sing that song one more time to you, God. And Lord, as a choir, as one voice, we're going to proclaim it is well with our soul because of you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Lord, for making it well with our soul. Lord, thank you that we are Christians. That means that we are, we are followers of you, Lord Jesus. Not only do we believe in you, trust in you, and obey you, but we follow you. We follow you in this life. Lord, thank you for making it well with our soul. And if there be anyone here this morning that all is not well with their soul, I pray by the end of this message, they'll make things right with you. That they'll repent, believe, and receive you as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, for your word. And thank you for this time of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You ever been in a point where, like, you don't want to end worship? That was beautiful. Christ-exalting worship. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Turning your Bibles this morning to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. You know, I normally do a half a chapter to a chapter of Sunday, and I got into my studies this week and looking at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we're just going to cover the first five verses. Because I believe these first five verses are very impactful and very uh, just rich and deep and theological. And can, can y'all handle some theology? Can y'all handle what the Word of God says? Because let's, let's soak it in, man. This is God's inspired Word. So let's take a look at it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. The Scripture says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the Word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, as we study it now and I get into my message, Lord, just let it, let it soak us. Lord, let it sink in deep. Lord, let it transform us and change us. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. This week I, was, I found an article online by Tom Rayner. He's a church resource guy. And I found an article he written. It was called, Things Pastors Love to Hear from Their Church Members. Things, things that pastors like to hear. Would you like to know what pastors like to hear from people in their church? He listed 10 of them. And I kept going through them all week and thinking about them and meditating on them. And, and so what I, I decided to do, instead of giving you all 10, I'm going to give you the top four. And I'm going to give you number four, number three, number two, and number one. And I'll let you be thinking in your head, what is the top thing? That, that a pastor likes to hear. But number four, number four is 
when somebody in the church comes up to you and says, Pastor, I'm ready to take on that ministry. Man, that thrills a pastor's heart to see Christians get plugged in to the body of Christ. That brings a pastor joy because that's his job as the shepherd is, is to help people get plugged in and help people use their gifts. And when somebody answers that call, you're like, yes, praise the Lord. If you go home with a little bit, little bit more joy. Number three, number three, the th- th- number three thing that, uh, that pastors like to hear from their church members is this one. Pastor, I want you to know God really spoke to me through your message. And you're like, yes, praise the Lord. You know, that's, I'm very thankful for those times because it, it is very encouraging. All glory goes to God. No glory goes to the pastor. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Holy Spirit working. But it does encourage the pastor to know that, that, that people are growing and learning in the word and that the Lord is speaking into their lives through the message. Number two, near and dear to my heart. Pastor, I just want you to know, if I can help you and your family in any way, please let me know. I'm like, oh, man, you're making my heart melt. You know, but we're family. We're family. And sometimes people love the pastor. Sometimes people hate the pastor. But you know they love the pastor when they say, hey, how can I help your family? And the number one, the number one thing that pastors like to hear from their church is, I will be praying for you. I will be praying for you. I have to, I have to admit, of all of them, I, I agree with, with Tom Rainer. Number one is, is probably my favorite, is to hear a church member come up to me and says, hey, pastor, I'm praying for you. I appreciate that so much because I do not underestimate the power of prayer. Prayer is powerful. God moves when people pray. And just like any Christian or any pastor or any missionary, uh, I, I, I thank you for those who pray for our leaders and those who um, and pray for me. So the title of my message this morning from Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 is A Pastor's Prayer Request. A pastor's prayer request. It's a beautiful prayer. It's a, a, a beautiful five verses that, that, is, um, that Paul centers the prayer on God. God centers this prayer on God. It's a God-centered prayer, not a man-centered prayer. In other words, it's not about what all the things that Paul needed in life, but what, what would advance the, the kingdom. And, and as we study this, as we study this uh, Normally we teach verse by verse through the Bible. Well, this morning I'm going to teach phrase by phrase through the Bible. But as we study each phrase, look at the center of what the phrase is saying and, and, and the, the, how the focus is not on Paul himself, but on the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at verse 1. Verse 1, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, he says, pray for us. Huge statement right there. That is a huge statement for the uh, Apostle Paul to make. Did you know that despite him being the Apostle and being the one that saw the glorified Christ in in Acts chapter 9, uh, being caught up to the third heaven in in Corinthians, that Paul requested prayer often from the church. Paul requested prayer from the churches that he founded in Romans chapter 15 verse 30, 2 Corinthians 1. 111, Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, Philippians 119, Colossians 4, 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25, and Philemon 22. All those places 
the apostle, the apostle to the Gentiles. This is Paul. He says, please pray for me. Please pray for me. It wasn't always easy going for him. But Paul knew that the key to his success, even as the apostle to the Gentiles, the one who was establishing Christianity, the one through whom's, whose hands the Lord used to inspire most of the New Testament, he knew that his success depended on the Lord. And because his success depended on the Lord, he knew that prayer was the key. Paul poured out his life for the body of Christ. This apostle gave everything. He gave everything, just like pastors should. They should give everything for the body of Christ because they want them to succeed. And the pastor prays for the church. And at the same time, the church and the body should be praying for the pastor. But he pours out his life. And so now Paul's seeing here in verse 1, the very beginning, he says, Now, brethren, pray for us. What does this reveal, this statement reveal to us about Paul? It reveals to us his humility. It, re it reveals to us the humility that the apostle Paul possessed. Remember, he encountered the glorified Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He saw the bright, blinding light. I have not seen Christ. I live by faith in him and my trust in him, my faith in him. But Paul had seen him. He had seen that bright, blinding light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about um, being caught up to the third heaven. He had seen the glory of God. He had seen the Lord. But in his humility, despite all these supernatural revelations, Paul is now saying, finally, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. The apostle was asking for prayer. And we're going to see in verse 1 here uh, two prayer requests. Let's look at the, the um, next part of verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That, that What's the prayer request? The, 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 the New King James says that the word of the Lord may uh, run swiftly. In some of, your, some of your translations, that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. What is he talking about? You know, he says, the New King James says, may, the, 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 the word of the Lord may run swiftly. I imagine this Bible with these two little legs running along. Is that what he's talking about? No. He's talking about the spread of the gospel. He's talking about his, his focus, his mission was not his self-needs, but, but that the gospel would go forth. And the, and, the, and the gospel would be proclaimed, that it would spread through his preaching, uh, through his teaching, through his evangelism at Thessalonica, at Iconium, at Lystra, at Derby, at Rome, at Jerusalem. It wasn't about establishing who Paul was. It was about establishing who Jesus is. And that was Paul's goal. And that was Paul's goal, that it would spread. Isaiah 55.11 says this. The prophet 700 years before says, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the things for which I sent it. The word of the Lord, it runs swiftly. It moves quickly. It spreads when it's, when it's taught, when it's studied, like what we're doing this morning, and when it's proclaimed to people. When it's proclaimed to people. You know the Bible, that book you have in your hand, is a living document. It's living. It's alive. And because it's living and it's alive, it has the ability to grip your heart. And take hold of your emotions. And take hold of your heart. And take hold of your mind. Hebrews 4.12 says, 
For the word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrows, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That is what our scriptures are. They're, they're, they're alive and they're living. And the power, the power and the authority of the Bible, the power of the word is quenched when we don't open our Bibles. When we don't open our Bibles and, 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 we, and we don't proclaim it, we don't teach it, we don't attempt to spread the scriptures and, and what God has says. Pastors and leaders make a grave mistake when we think that our wits, our charm, and our clever words are greater than God's word. I heard a preacher say one time, God's word is like a lion in a cage. And, and how, do you, how do you let the lion go do his thing? You open the cage up. And you just let the lion out. And that's how, what I believe with scripture. That's what I believe what the word of God does. When we just let it out and we teach it and proclaim it. You know, the Bible, the scripture says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. It is what changes people. So that's part one of his prayer in verse one. We're still in verse one. Look at the next part of verse one. The last one third of verse one. He says, and be glorified just as it is with you. What be glorified? He's talking about the word of the Lord. And so that the word of the Lord will be glorified just as it is with you. The question we have to ask ourselves when we look at this is, how is the word, how is, how is God's word, how is the word of the Lord glorified? How is it glorified? What does that mean to glorify Scripture? What does that mean to glorify the word of God? The word of God is glorified when we believe it. The word of the Lord is glorified, verse 1, when we obey it. The word of the Lord is glorified when we trust it, when, when, when we follow it, when we make it for what it, it, what it is, the word of God, and we, and we let it govern and dictate our life and, and govern our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are glorifying the word of God when we open the word of God and we follow the word of God and we get on fire for the Lord through his word. That word glorify there in verse 1, the word glorify means to, um, to honor, it means to exalt. Psalms 138 verse 2 says, says that God exalts his word above his name. Do you know that? God, that's, 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 sometimes that's hard for me to understand. But, but, but that's what Psalms 138.2 says. It says, he exalts his word above his own name. Why does Psalms 138.2 say that? Basically what it means is this. God stands behind his word. God stands behind his word. His word is as good as who he is. And he is faithful to his word. His word is true. And his word can be trusted. And we glorify it when we believe it, obey it, trust it, and follow it. That's verse 1. Verse 1 of this prayer. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, um, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 2, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, and not for not all have faith. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament, he lived on the run. He was a wanted man. He did not have a place to live and lay his head every night in one city because he stayed on the run. One reason was to share the gospel and to proclaim the good news. 
But the other reason is because he was, he was hunted. He was hunted. He was wanted, dead or alive. He was persecuted. He was persecuted by Jews, the Jewish, the Pharisees. He, he was uh, persecuted by evil men. Just a, a quick overview of his, of his New Testament journeys. In Acts chapter 9, verse 24, he's at Damascus. And verse 24 says, The Jews watched the gate day and night to welcome him. That's not what it says. It says, The Jews watched the gate day and night, go check it, chapter 9, verse 24, to kill him. Not to hurt him. Not to stop him. But to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Acts chapter 13, verse 24. They're at Antioch. And the scripture says there that they faced fierce opposition. Acts chapter 14, verse 5, he's at Iconium. And it says there in chapter 14, verse 5, they attempted to abuse and stone them. It continues. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 20, they're at Lystra. Paul is stoned, and they, dry, they, they drag his lifeless, dead corpse out of the body, thinking he's dead. And the disciples gather around him and pray, and God raises him up. And we believe that that's when he had the out-of-body experience that he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he's called up to the third heaven. Acts chapter 16, it doesn't stop. He's living his best life now. He's moving forward. Acts chapter 16, he's at Philippi. What happens at Philippi? He's beaten. He's beaten with rods, and he's jailed with Silas. It wasn't an easy life for Paul. He lived on the run, and he says it right here in verse 2. Uh, and, he, and his prayer was that, that he be de- delivered from unreasonable and, and, and wicked men. He says, for not all, ha- not, not all have faith. Who are the perverse and evil men here? The perverse and evil men here that he's talking about in verse 2 are not sinners. They're not the, they're not the people in the world that he's trying to evangelize. The people that, that are perverse and evil here that he talks about are those who oppose the gospel. Those who oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. At the very end of verse 2, a lot of your translations will say, for not all have faith. Some of your translations insert the definite article of the before faith. And it reads, for not all have the faith. So what he's, what he's saying here is not all, not all men believe the gospel. Not all men have received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Not all people embrace this message of Christianity. And it's those people that, that was in trying to inflict harm and pain and great suffering on the apostles as they traveled throughout the first century Roman world spreading the Christianity. And a lot of times we say, hey man, it's time to go back to, to the New Testament church. It's time to go back to Acts. And to that I say, amen. But be careful what you ask for. <laughs> be careful what you ask for. Yes, I want the Holy Spirit to be poured out. I want revival to take place. I want to see lives changed and transformed. But when lives are changed and lives are transformed, not everybody's going to be happy. Okay? People are, some people are not going to like that. That comes with the deal, though. That comes with the package when people get saved. And we praise the Lord. We, and we, and we pray, we'll praise the Lord in those times. And we'll move forward with the gospel. But you know the cool thing about verse 2 here is God answers this prayer. God answers this prayer. What's the last letter written by the Apostle Paul in the New Testament? 
it is 2 Timothy. And at the end of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 11, Paul will say this, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and at Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all, what? The Lord delivered me. The Lord delivered me. The Lord took him through all those things he endured for the gospel. Are you ready to endure whatever it takes to get the gospel out to people? No matter what. You know, no matter what. We have to do whatever it takes to win people for Christ. We have to reach out to high schools. We have to reach out to nursing homes. We got to reach out to our neighbors. We got to reach out to our communities and say, hey, man, I've got good news. I've got a Savior who saves. I've got a God who forgives sins. I've got a God who brings new life. But not everyone's going to like that. Some people are going to reject it. People are okay if you want to get confirmed, baptized, or go through some kind of ritual. But you start, you start talking about being born again and trusting in Christ and living for Jesus and being a radical Christian. Not everybody's going to embrace that message. Not everybody's going to like it. But God answers this prayer and he takes them through. You know, Paul's confidence uh, what an example, you know, to study his life. But, but Paul's confidence and his faith was never shaken. Wow. I don't know about you, but, but if I had some stripes across my back and some beating and some imprisonments, I might be like, hmm, God, is this really your will for my life? I'd be like, whoa, uh, you know. But his confidence and his faith was never shaken. Why? Look at verse 3. Verse 3, the, the first five words, he says, But the Lord is faithful. But the Lord is faithful. This is a, a, a beautiful theme in our Bible, that the Lord is faithful. What does that mean? What does that look like? When, when someone says, when, when a preacher or pastor starts talking about the, uh, the faithfulness of God, what picture comes to your mind? What, 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 what comes to your mind when you think about the faithfulness of God? I think about many of his attributes. I think about all the ways how he is great and he is awesome and he is loving and he's forgiving. But when I think about God's faithfulness in a simple phrase, I think about the faithfulness of God as this. God's faithfulness, his faithfulness, is his commitment to you. It's his commitment to you. It's all those things that the Scripture promises. The Scripture says all the promises in Christ Jesus are yes and amen. But everything he says in his word is his promise to you. It's his commitment to you. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 9 from the Old Testament says this. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. It says he is the faithful God who keeps his covenants for a thousand generations for those who love him and those who keep his commandments. We're called to love God, we're called to obey God, and we're called to follow his commandments. And God is faithful to us. God, no, Basically, God keeps his end of the deal is, is, is what God's faithfulness is. It's God keeping his end of the deal to you in your relationship with him based on the scriptures. 
God will see you through. And I, and I, and I, and I wrestle with this one. I, don't, I can only tell you what Scripture says. But check this out. Even if you're faithless. Even if you're faithless. What? That's what the Bible says. Even if you're faithless, the Scripture says, God will be faithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if you're taking notes. It says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. He cannot deny himself. His attributes and who he is never changes. Never changes. No matter what you do or don't do, his attributes do not change. Then he says in verse 3, so, so verse 3, let's look at it again. But the Lord is faithful, and the next, next part of the phrase is, he says, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. You know, there, there, was, an invisible, there was an invisible shield around the Apostle Paul. There, there was an invisible shield around his heart. What was that shield? It was the Holy Spirit. It was the Lord. It was the Lord that kept him going, that kept him enduring everything he went through for the gospel. No, mind, no man in his right mind would endure that persecution in his own flesh. It took something supernatural. It took something powerful. It took something above and beyond this world to come into this world and into his life and give him the ability to endure and, 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 to, and to be established, verse 3, and the one that would guard your, he, he will guard you from the evil one. In 1529, Martin Luther wrote a song that many of us have sung, that many of us know, it is called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And in that song, if you go home and study it and you go home and look at it, uh, God is referred to as a bulwark, never failing. A bulwark, never failing. A bulwark in the ancient times was the uh, reinforced sighting of the ancient ships. And this purpose, the purpose of the bulwark was to keep the sailors on the inside safe. And that's what God is to us. We are inside this relationship with him. And he is our bulwark. And he keeps us safe. Doesn't mean we won't be persecuted. Doesn't mean we won't go through difficult times. But in the end, he will have the victory. And he will see us through. He will be glorified even in our suffering. Even in our difficulties. Even in our trials. Even when um, things don't go the way they plan. His word says he will be glorified. He will be our bulwark. He will protect us and he will keep us safe and take us from here to glory. The Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ um, is our refuge. He is our refuge. He is our shield. He is our protector. He is our defender. He's the one that goes before us. He's the one that guards your heart. When, trial, when times are hard and, 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 and the trials are fierce and things aren't going the way you want them to, know this. It's the Lord who's guarding your heart and keeping you faithful and keeping you focused and keeping you steadfast. That's what he does. That's what he does. The only, the only, the only way we can mess it up is if we reject that voice and we step into our carnal flesh and say, God, I don't want to do it your way. I'm going to do it my way. Because I know better. That's our flesh. As long as we stay away from that temptation 
of carnality and flesh and do it in our own strength, we can say with all confidence that he will guard our hearts. That he will guard your heart. You, individually, not just us, but Greg on an individual basis, on Troy. He will guard your heart on whatever you go through. It says it right there. Verse 13, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. He's talking to the Apostle Paul, but, but through the inspired scriptures that's written for us, he's also, this is a promise to us in verse 3. Verse 4. Verse 4 in this prayer. Beautiful prayer. Two more verses. He says, And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Wow. Wow. Verse 4 is the heart cry of every pastor. Verse 4 is the heart cry of every pastor. It's the heart cry of every leader. It's the heart cry of every Christian leader. And that is this, that the people that listen to his teaching or listen to their teaching will take to heart what is being taught. You know, I study my heart out. I seek the Lord. I lay out my messages and, with the hopes that the people, that the, the Christians that choose to come worship at Calvary Chapel Armour will soak in the Bible teaching. And I don't, I don't, I don't, verse 4 says, and we have confidence in the Lord. I don't rest in my own confidence. I don't rest in my own wit or my own charm or my own words. I simply rest in the authority of the Bible. And that's why as Calvary Chapel Church, we go chapter by chapter, verse by verse. When I discovered this church, I was like, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to be. Because I, I want, uh, I want, I want to grow and learn in the word. My one request back in, I don't, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, but as me and Irene were looking for a church, the, the, our one request, our one thing that had to take place is they had to open the Bible. They had to open the Bible. If, I, if I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to get Emily and Daniel up and I'm going to stuff breakfast down their throats and get them all dressed up and ready, you know, they're four and five and six years old. If I'm going to go through all that, and make a mad rush out the door, which I know many of you do, especially with young kids. And I'm going to go through all that trouble to come to church. Pastor, please open the Bible. That's my only request. You can teach from the Old Testament. You can teach from the New Testament. You can teach on the rapture. You can teach on tithing. You can teach on creation. You can teach on the Sermon on the Mount. I don't care where you teach from the Bible. Just, teach, just open the Bible. That was my one request. And, and that's the heart cry of the shepherd, verse 4. Is, is, is the, 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 the people will, will take to heart. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Paul's like, guys, please listen to me. Please listen to me. My message is not from myself. My message is from the Lord Jesus Christ. My message is from the Lord. And that was his heart cry. You know, our job as a pastor is to encourage you and to challenge you. Is to, my, I say it again, our job as a pastor, the job of a pastor teacher is to encourage the saints and challenge the saints. That means some Sundays you're going to leave here with a hop, skip, and a jump. And you're going to be pumped up and you're going to be excited and you're going to go home singing. Some Sundays you're going to leave here and your toes are going to be stepped on. And that's okay. Because that's the job of a pastor is to encourage you and challenge you. Sometimes you're going to go home 
can't believe what that pastor said. Can you believe him? He challenged me in this one area of my life, and I don't like it. And if you find yourself in that place, then praise the Lord. As long as it came from the Word of God, I'm cool with that. That's our job. Verse 5. Verse 5 in this prayer. Uh, this is a beautiful prayer, by the way. You know, I, I, said, I said this is a, the prayer of a pastor, but you could say this is the prayer of a missionary. You could say this is the prayer of an authentic Christian who wants to be used by God, okay? So this isn't just the pastor's prayer. This is all of our prayer. You know, if you want to be used by the Lord, make this your prayer. Make this your prayer in your ministry to your family, to your home and the church and where you're at. Verse 5, he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. What a beautiful way he, he ends this prayer. And, and, and notice he says, may the Lord direct your hearts. Why does he say, um, may the Lord direct your hearts? Why, why, why does he say that? May the Lord direct your hearts. Your heart, when we talk about the word heart, and, I'm, and, we're, ta- and we're teaching, um, the heart is the center of who you are. That's really who you are. It's your heart. It's that soul, that spirit, that person that's on the inside of this flesh of who you are. That person I can't see, but God sees. God sees who it is. And, 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 and he says, in, in, he's saying here, may the Lord direct your hearts. The heart is the center of who you are. It's the helm of a ship. You know, and when God gets hold of your heart, he gets hold of everything. I think about an aircraft carrier. I was on the Eisenhower for a couple years. Stayed haze gray and underway. Aircraft carrier is 97,000 tons. It's uh, 15 to um, 20 stories high. You only see the top part, but there's a whole lot more below. It's huge. 6,000 sailors at sea. Think about 6,000 sailors. Think about each sailor eating two eggs every morning. That's 18,000 eggs served. An aircraft carrier is huge. It's amazing. It's a floating city. It's, 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 it's this awesome superstructure. It's got a, a five-acre flight deck with all these fighter jets and all this stuff. But all of that, if you, if you ever look at a picture of an aircraft carrier, that whole entire aircraft carrier is controlled by one thing. It's called the bridge. And the bridge is that little tower that sticks up on the side of the carrier. That's where all the decisions are made. That's, that's the heart and the hub. That's where the commander is. That's where the executive officer is. That's where all the uh, operation specialists are that keep it going. And they, that's where the decisions are made for, okay, are we going to go to the Indian Ocean? Are we going to go to the Atlantic Ocean? Are we going here? Are we going there? But all of that is made in that one island. If you, if the enemy wants to take out an aircraft carrier, Go for one thing, and that's the heart. Go for that structure they call the tower. You knock that out, you knock out everything. But if you control that tower, you control everything. Our hearts, your heart inside of you is the helm of your life. The decisions you make in your heart, the the decisions you make in your heart will determine your life. And God says, if I can get a part of that heart, 
everything else will change. Your life will be transformed if we can get through the hearts. Our goal in teaching is not to, we preach the gospel not to make men change their lives and change their behaviors and do things differently. We preach and teach, pastors teach, to get to the heart. Because once the Holy Spirit gets into the heart, and once the Holy Spirit, uh, he gets into your heart and the word of God gets into your heart, it'll change everything else because that, that controls everything. So that's why he says there, may the Lord direct your hearts, your heart, because it's the, it's the center, it's the control, it's the bridge of your life. And he says, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. First uh, John 4, 8, what does it say? God is love. God is love. And he says, may the Lord direct your hearts. He says, into the love of God. Like, in other words, you're diving into the love of God. We know the love of God in Christ Jesus, but he wants you to dive into, be surrounded, be submersed, be controlled by, be inundated by the love of God. We move into the love of God three ways. Number one, by, by diving into our, our love, our devotion to Jesus Christ, our love for him. You know, we, we dive into loving him more, trusting him more, and living for him more. And expressing a heartfelt love, affection towards the Lord God Almighty. Another way we move into the love of God, based on scripture, is our love for each other. We show the world that we're disciples of Jesus Christ by our love for one another. We're called to love one another. And that's, that's the way it should be within the body of Christ is that we love one another. There's a bond. There's a connection between us. But then there's a third love of God that we dive into. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We dive into the love of God when we go outside the walls of the church and we love people, all people, with the, with the love and the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even so it's everybody. We love God. We dive into God's love by loving him more. We, we dive um, into the love of God by loving each other more and being complete. But then we also dive into the love of God by loving those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no place for hate. No place for hate in the Christian life. Not at zero zilch, except for, except for one thing, our hate for sin. You know, in our fight against the, the, the demons that come against us. We hate them demons and we hate that sin that wars against us. But as far as God, the church, and people around us, we love them all, no matter who they are or what their background is. So that's the three loves. It says, verse 5, may the, let's look at the next phrase. May the Lord direct your hearts, we talked about that, into the love of God. And it says, finally, and into the patience of Christ. Some of your translations will say, and into the endurance of Christ. Some of your translations will say, um, into the steadfastness of Christ, there in verse 5. What's he saying there? In the endurance, the patience of Christ? Man, you're in this for the long haul. You're in this for the long haul. You've made the decision in your mind. You've driven the stake in the ground, and you're ready to serve the Lord. That's the kind of commitment that God calls from Christians. That we consider the cost, we examine his claims, and we embrace those claims. And we follow him no matter what. That was what 
took Paul through the missionary journeys. He, he went through, through all the beatings, through the imprisonments, uh, through everything he endured. It was through the steadfastness and the endurance and the patience of Christ. He was, he was in it for the long haul. He had, he, had, he had an eternal perspective. He had an eternal perspective. He knew that one day he would leave this world and he would see his Savior face to face. Jesus wasn't just his religion. This wasn't just his, his tradition, but it was this living, authentic relationship with Christ where he said, you know what, I'm in this for the long haul and I'm going to be patient like Christ, I'm going to endure like Christ, and I'm going to be steadfast like Christ. Amen? You know, I titled my message this morning, uh, A Pastor's Prayer. You know, and, and I go back to verse 1 in that opening line there where he says, uh, Finally, brethren, pray for us. Finally, brethren, pray for us. That's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. And, you know, and, and as a pastor of Calvary Chapel, you know, you need to know this. I am never too busy for a phone call, for a text, for a Facebook message, for anything that, that you may be going through. Don't hesitate to contact me. I will stop what I'm doing, and I will, I will talk with you. I will help you if I can. I will pray with you. I will be there for you. And um, so let's, that, that becomes a cliche. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm praying for you. Let's take it out of the cliche world and bring it into the to real world to where we can do that for one another. I know many brothers here that will that, contact me and say, hey, man, I'm going through this, and can you please pray for me? I'm like, yes, yes, yes. That's what we're here for. That's what a shepherd's for. That's what a pastor's for. That's what a Christian's for, too, not just me, for you. You know, we should be able to text one another, call one another, Facebook message one another, what all the other communications out there, and say, hey, will you pray for me? Let's do that for Christians. Let's show our love by our ability to pray for one another, care for one another. Amen? Amen. One more Sunday, and we'll finish up our study through Thessalonians. Um, you know, there's a lot, a lot of chapters here in 1 Thessalonians, chapter, uh, 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians. This is the only chapter in the uh, series to Thessalonians where Paul doesn't talk about eschatology and last, time, last things. I think that the, the church at Thessalonica, their brains and their hearts were so full <laughs> that he had to bring it back down and say, okay, brother, we've talked about the Antichrist. We've talked about the rapture. We've talked about last days. Now let's talk about what's going on here. And by the way, church at Thessalonica, will you pray for me? Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for you now. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord, for this body. Thank you, Father, for Calvary Chapel Irmo. Thank you for the, uh, our love we have for you, our love we have for each other, and our love that we have for the community around us. Lord, let that increase in greater measure let that increase in every single one of us, Lord. Not just me, not just the guys in the sound booth, not just the worship team, but on every believer. Lord, let our love grow. Lord, and let our availability for praying for one another be greater. Lord, let us 
welcome those prayer requests from our brothers and sisters. And Lord, let us meet the needs of the body in ministry. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning and thank you for what it does in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen.